The word perfect means it cannot be improved upon. You know, and I just think we just need to press pause and go, okay, we want to aim for excellence, we want to do our best, but maybe perfectionism shouldn't really be the goal, but it should be about experiencing life, enjoying life, helping to support other people on their journey as well, rather than being so thinking, you know, wrapped up in trying to create a perfect image of who we are, because deep down we all fucking well know it doesn't exist. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello, and welcome to the last in this series of Connected Leadership Gold, the last in our dig back into the archive before we get back to our regular programming next week to kick off the new year. My guest today, um, in fact, my guest on January the 9th, 2023, so celebrating almost his anniversary with us, uh, is Paul McGee. Uh, Paul McGee is best known as the sumo guy who has sold thousands, thousands and thousands of books all around the world, most famously Sumo, Shut Up, Move On, but a whole range of fantastic self-development books that I highly recommend. He is an inspirational speaker. He's uh, someone who gives great insights and, and a great perspective on your mindset and your confidence. And we talked to him about exploring happiness, which I thought as we go into a new year would be a great way to partly kick it off. So enjoy my conversation with Paul and I will see you again next week for a brand new episode of the Connected Leadership Podcast. This was a LinkedIn live stream, as I'll go on to explain shortly, but we explored the concept of happiness and how you could live a happier life. Just the perfect way to tee up for a new year. Over recent weeks, I've taken to streaming the podcast live on LinkedIn, Facebook and YouTube. And you'll find as you listen to this episode that there's a lot of interaction with people who are on the podcast as well. A little bit of banter between friends who are joining us as well, particularly friends of both myself and my guest this week. I hope that doesn't detract from your experience. But as I say at one point in this episode, it actually underlines the principle of strong professional relationships and developing that. So I hope that you can appreciate that and enjoy it. If not, let me know so that I'm aware of how it lands for you as a listener. But the guest I have this week is someone who I have known for a number of years, is a good friend of mine and a big supporter of the work I do. He was one of the rocks that I relied on as I sought to get my last book, Just Ask, Just Write. Uh, And we touch base on a regular basis, both on a professional basis to see how we're doing, catch up, but also from a work basis. I'm going to leave it to my introduction on the live stream to tell you a little bit more. And my guest today is probably one of my closest and oldest friends in the world of speaking and writing. He is a very successful author and speaker, incredibly busy, incredibly popular all over the world. And his books have sold and and generated a a huge response wherever he's been. In fact, if you remember the days when you could go to an airport, you wouldn't find an airport bookshop without a whole row of his books. He's probably best known as the sumo guy um, for sumo, shut up, move on. Um, But he's written a range of other books, including I have next to me here, How to Have 
uh, A Great Life. He's written How Not to Worry, Self-Confidence and many more. You might be spotting uh, a bit of a theme here. And his new book comes out in June uh, and it's called The Happiness Revolution, co-authored with Dr. Andy Cope. I've had the privilege of having a preview and it's a familiar blend of very insightful ideas, very important reflections on how we operate as human beings, but wrapped up in quite irreverent humour. And I think that sums up the man himself. So uh, let me welcome my good friend, Paul McGee. Paul, welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. Andy, it's great to be with you. And I finally found my strap line, irreverent humour. I am from Manchester and often I'm known as the motivational speaker. And I always say to people, and no offence to my Californian friends that may be tuning in, but I say, you're not going to get Californian motivation <laughs> from me. I'm from Manchester. It's Mancunian. No bull. Tell it as it is. And let's be practical. Now, I might also add with a bit of irreverent humour along the way as well. Anyway, but it's great to be with you, Andy. It really is. That's it. Great. And of course, as a Wigan fan, and, and I can say this as a Charlton fan, you have to have a sense of humour just to get through as well, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it certainly helps. And I've got me affections for Bradford City as well. Yeah. So it's been an interesting 12 months, never mind the, the global pandemic we've all been going through. And we share a painful uh, liking for Aberdeen as well. And I'm, this is an Aberdeen top underneath. Right. <laughs> underneath. Oh, is it? Good on you, mate. Good on you. Right, so Paul, let's get into it. The, the book is called The Happiness Revolution. Of course, happiness is it's a topic that's been bubbling around for a while, thanks to David Cameron and his big society and looking, you know, there's a lot of surveys and research and stories about what makes us happy. And of course, over the last year, our happiness has perhaps been called into question uh, more than ever. I want to come to that in a second. But aside from all of that, the last 10, 20 years has seen probably more accelerated technological progress than any time in our lives uh, and, and certainly any time in, in, in history. So much has changed and so much of it is designed around our leisure time rather than our work time. So are we happier now than in the past? You know, it's a, it's a great question. And I think that the thing is, I find the whole flipping subject and I've obviously co-authored this book on happiness but even trying to define the word and what it means to people is, is pretty hard. So when you say, are we happier? I feel at times like that, that subject, it's like I'm wrestling with a flipping fish and it's hard to pin it down. I mean, you go back to 1966. Not only did England win the World Cup that year, not only why was I a two year old toddler who had finally been potty trained, but there was an advert that came out by Hamlet. And it was called not 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 the not the guy from Shakespeare, but the cigars. It was happiness is a cigar called Hamlet. Yeah. And and if the subject was just as so easy as that, so it's actually shown on TV for 25 years. And if you Google it or go on YouTube, some brilliant adverts. But when you say, you know, are we happier? You know, happiness is a cigar called Hamlet. It's like that's it in a nutshell, but it's a huge topic, isn't it? It's like when Eskimos talk about snow, they've got different words for it. It's when you talk about you love Charlton Athletic and I love Wigan, Wigan Athletic and, and, I, and I love my wife and I love Marmite. And it's like, hang on a minute, we're using the same word to describe a lot of things. So in some respects, are we happier? I think if our grandparents had been told what the world would look like now, 
and all the potential oh you'll have more leisure time technology will make life a lot easier for you or have all these own creature comforts and you'll have more choice and more options then they would probably have said well in that case we will be happier and yet i think it's fair to say isn't it andy that with with all those you know the choices the options the creature comforts life being easier the advancement of technology the reality is actually are we any happier hard to define at times and i think many people would probably say no they're not so we got a couple of comments from Andrew Bryant in Singapore, who's watching on Facebook. He started off by saying that happiness is a non-construct and then followed up by saying the, the Hamlet ad showed schadenfreude and not happiness. So happiness is a non-construct. What does that mean to you, Paul? Well, I think you're best asking Andrew. Yeah. I mean, I'm only a visiting, I'm a professor, but I only visit, <laughs> I'm only a visiting professor at the University of Chester and I don't visit very much. And I talk about common sense, but what I think it is, it's hard to define. It is a non-construct. It means different things to different people. And for me, happiness is a byproduct of living life well. I don't think it's a goal in itself, but actually most people say, I want to be happy. And then when you ask them, so what does that look like? And they'll sometimes say, well, you know, I don't have any problems. But then you realize it's a bit like playing uh, the game, you know, the game of life, I talk about, you know, snakes and ladders. And if you think about it for a moment, if you were playing that game of snakes and ladders, but there weren't any snakes on the board, in other words, there weren't any potential challenges or threats and, and, and setbacks that could happen during the game. Well, for a start, you wouldn't call it snakes and ladders, you just call it ladders and ladders. But you know what, Andy, the game would be really boring. And, and in fact, at times people think that, you know, happiness is about problem free, things going great. And actually, at times, it's that ability to have landed on a snake, metaphorically speaking, in life and actually, you know, overcome that and grow through that experience and become maybe a bit wiser uh, and a bit more self-aware as a result. So I think this whole thing that Andrew's mentioned about this non-construct, I think I understand that. It, it's a byproduct. It's not a goal in itself. Yeah. It's what happens. It's almost like the residue that occurs after you've done something else. And I think we often think it is about having a smile on your face and, 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 and it's problem free. And actually, some of the most fulfilling moments in our lives come as a result of the struggles that we've had and that we've actually come through. Well, okay, so the last 15 months have probably been the biggest snake on, on the board of most of our lives over, over the last 50, 60 years, more probably going back to the Second World War for many people. Um, has it affected our happiness in the short term? And do you think, going back to what you said, is it going to help us in the longer term in how we adapt and, and how we see life as a result of what we've been through over the last year or so? I think, I mean, again, big topic, isn't it? And in fact, it almost depends on who you talk to, because I've got a friend of mine, also called Paul, who is not the most um, extrovert of people, who hates having to socialise, who hates the whole concept of small talk. So if you look at the last 15 months for him, he's been able to do, have the time to do all these walks. He's not had to interact with as many people. And in fact, he would probably say, I'm happier than I was pre-pandemic. Now, 
Is he an outlier? Well, he might be, but I think there's a few people who would be in that bracket who would say, I spend more time with my family. I don't have to commute. And, and maybe they, they live in a, in a context where they've got a number of family members. So it's not like they felt isolated. They've had more time to do all sorts of other different things with their lives. So you've got that at one end of the spectrum, haven't you? But then you've got at the other end of the spectrum, people who have felt isolated, who have lived with this underlying anxiety all the time about the virus. Now it's impacting them and other people. And if you read or watch any TED talk or read any of the literature, I think one of the things that people would agree with, and there is some disagreement about, well, what is happiness and what makes us happy? But what does seem to be the case is connection is important, which is fairly good for you, really, on the connect, <laughs> you know, when you think about your whole concept around con uh, connection. And we do, humans need humans. But again, there's a spectrum to all of this. So my mate Paul doesn't need as much so social interaction and engagement with people as I do. You know, for me, I find social media can be a blessing and it can be a curse, but it can actually be a blessing as well. So I think just as the topic itself can be quite subjective, asking, you know, so how's it affected our happiness levels? Well, I'm working a lot within the NHS and they would certainly say there's been an upturn and an uprise in terms of people who would use the term mental health issues and challenges. My son is a trainee GP. And although it's a significant rise in percentage terms, fortunately not in numbers, but he would have seen in the last six weeks, particularly as children were starting to contemplate going back to school and then returning to school, they've seen an upturn where he is based in attempted suicides. And, you know, and, 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 you, and you think, look, there's it, it, a spectrum here, but clearly it is for a lot of people, and if you would, it's hard to say percentage wise, but I would say, you know, for the majority of people, this has been very challenging. And this has almost like been a destabilizing experience for a number of people. But what I find is, Andy, almost like the blitz spirit that we talked about in, in the early part of the war, in the Second World War, I think we experienced that back in March last year, back in 2020. I think people were fairly galvanized. I think there was this sense of we're all in this together. And I think there was also a sense in which it'll probably be over by the end of the summer. And I think a lot of people have talked about in the UK, and I know Andrew's dialing in from Singapore, but certainly in the UK, this third lockdown that happened started on January the 5th, and we're still only still gradually coming out of, loads of people have said, this was the real kicker. This was the real tough one. So I'd love to be able to give you a concrete and decisive answer I think this concept of, you know, it depends and it's subjective would come into play. But obviously, it'd be an understatement to say it's been a challenging experience. But that's not to say that some people actually haven't found it OK, because some people have. I think it's a, a really interesting point. And I certainly know for myself, you know, from the outside, people think that I'm a very extrovert social person and I have that element of my personality. But because of the amount of time that I typically you know, pre-pandemic would have spent at events and uh, social uh, occasions, both for business and for pleasure. The first two or three months of the pandemic were, were sort of a rest for me, a, a bit of a relief. Mm. This third lockdown has been, as you say, it's been the kicker for me. There's quite a lot I want to unwrap from, from your answer, but I think that 
one of the key things, and, and I touched on it in my first question, is the role of technology. And you mentioned specifically social media, um, because I think it has been, as you say, called call it both a blessing and a curse uh, over the course of the pandemic. Um, for those who were isolated, it at least gave some connection and it gave the ability to engage with people and have some social interaction. Um, but it's not the same as uh, a physical I interaction. I'm going to ask you in a second, just how generally has technology and social media specifically affected our ability to be happy? But before I do, Andrew Bryant was happy with your answer. He says, great catch, Paul. And uh, we've been joined by Jeff Ram, the OMG and customer service expert and a good friend of both of us. And uh, can I interrupt, he, Andy? He was, he was, was <laughs> a good friend for both yeah, of us. Before this one. That was before Charlton played Sunderland and before Wigan played Sunderland yeah. in these last few yeah. days. Yeah. I reckon Mr. Ram is purely on this podcast because he wants to wreck it. <laughs> That'll I make him happy. I was going to be diplomatic and not mention that. So thanks for jumping in with that, Paul. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had to. yeah, I had to. So, good morning, Jeff, and thanks for the six points between us. Um, Paul, <laughs> how does how does technology affect our ability to to be happy? How does social media impact us? Okay, well, and it is interesting, isn't it? If you literally go back fourteen years ago, and you're in a cafe on June the twenty eighth. And you go into this cafe and there's certain things you would notice. First of all, when you want to order a coffee, there's possibly two choices, black and white, right? And there's one milk option and that's dairy. And um, you're looking around the cafe and, you, and you're seeing people, maybe some of them are on their own, but they're reading a book or they're reading a newspaper. Um, you'll see people actually talking to each other. And, and there might be someone who's actually got a phone in their hand, but they're not looking at it and scrolling through it. They're actually holding it to their ear and they're talking to somebody. And, and that is a picture from 14 years ago. And June the 28th was the day before Apple released the iPhone. And if you wanted to access Facebook, and, and you could do on a computer uh, or a laptop, but you didn't, you couldn't have, you know, we didn't even know what apps were. And, and, and you suddenly think, wow, in 14 years, just think about all that's happened. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we are more greatly connected now. And we evolved as a species, they reckon that the biggest sort of like largest group we ever grew to as a tribe was around 150 people. And now, because of technology, well, we, we can tap into, you know, the support, you could call it the support on one level of what, I don't know, is it 7.8 billion or so people? And so in some ways, technology, how has it impacted our happiness? Well, again, if you think about this, what if the pandemic had happened in 2007 and not 2020? You know, we would have been restricted on how we could have connected with each other. You know, I mean, our, our road all of a sudden, and we kind of like, the houses on our road are fairly set back from the road. We hardly know the neighbours. And all of a sudden, there's a WhatsApp group. And so for some people, they actually were able to, because of social media, you know, access blogs, access help around mental health, get links to YouTube and watch useful videos. And you've got all that side of things that actually could connect people and people who didn't feel isolated. A couple of my friends are blind and they have found, you know, or visually impaired, whichever language you want to use, but basically they can't see. So they have found technology and absolute, you know, it, it's a, it liberates them. But then you've also got, I think, 
if I was to take, well, we can look at a number of platforms, but let's just look at, say, Twitter and, and Instagram. And I'm on Twitter, by the way, at the Sumo Guy. And I'm on Instagram at the Sumo Guy. And for me, just like for you, Andy, it's my way of reaching my audience and engaging with my audience. But what I find is this, is that, you know, the, the keyboard warriors, all of a sudden, I've got this phrase, manage your mental diet. And what I realize can happen and has happened is that as people are scrolling some, sometimes mindlessly on Twitter, you know, I, I might see a particular comment about, you know, Prince Philip, but then I start to, you know, a tweet, but then I read the comments and it's the comments that can get you. And I've had to suddenly realize, Paul, is what I'm reading making me angry or anxious? Because if it is, I need to stop doing that. So is it social media to blame or is it the fact that it's a tool, but we're maybe not using the tool so well and we're getting hooked in? I think about Instagram and, you know, in, in how to have a great life. It's not a unique phrase to me, but we need to be careful of comparing our unedited lives with the edited lives of others. And I think it was Beyonce or something who, who talked about, uh, you know, to take the perfect selfie, take 300 photos well, who's got the time to do that? But I go back to this, well, a tribe of 150 people. When we had that tribe, you know, when I was a kid at school in the 1970s, you know, my tribe was my schoolmates. That was it. And, and I wasn't, and I might compare myself to, you know, Christopher Armitage, who was a great actor and was great at English and history and maths and flipping everything else. But there was only maybe me comparing myself with Christopher Armitage. Now, because of things like Instagram, I can potentially compare myself with billions of other people on the planet, and, and it can make me feel inadequate. And we're in a society, aren't we? I'm not a particularly political person. I, I enjoy maybe looking at the communication styles of politicians, and I've, I and I voted probably for every party, well, not for every party going, but for a number of different parties over the time. But the reality is, you know, the world capitalism makes you know works by making us feel inadequate at times like we're just not quite good enough but if you drive this car wear this suit buy, buy these trainers then then you will feel happy and you will be good enough or if you have this experience that will make you happy and then you're good and then you have it and then you buy the trainers and then you realize next year there's a new pair coming out and they're even better than the ones you've got and we live in a you know for capitalism to work in a sense for consumerism to work we need more we need more and therefore how can those organizations who are trying to sell their product get us to buy more well in some respects maybe i'm oversimplifying it by making us feel a little less and making us feel that there is a hole and that hole is where happiness lives. But if you buy our product or if you use our service, that will fill the hole. And then you get it and then there's another hole appears and another hole appears. So for some people, we've grown up and finally, hopefully got to a place of some self-worth and self-acceptance. And it's still nice to buy stuff and feel good, but there's not this sense in which then I'll have arrived and then I'll be happy. But there's this sense of, no, I, I do want to buy those trainers and I do want to buy that suit or whatever. But I think there's for some people, there is this sense of you're never quite enough. You're never quite enough, are you? 
And that's why you need this. And that's why you need that. And even in the self-help industry, you know, in my Sumo book that, that came out in 2005, and I'd written a few other books before that, but that became the iconic book. That became the game changer. But one of the first things I put in that is a quote from Eric Byrne, a psychologist from the 1960s, who said, you don't have to be ill to get better. And why I wanted to lead with that quote is, yeah, we can develop ourselves and that's good and that's healthy. And some form of mild dissatisfaction is good because it drives us to want to achieve more and accomplish more and be more great. But I want to start from the premise, not that you're broken and, and you read one of my books and that'll sort you out and fix you, but that we, we're all on a journey, aren't we? And we all need each other, but you don't have to be ill to get better. And, and also there's the myth, I believe, that in some aspects of the self-help industry and in motivation, that, that there's one answer, there's one magic bullet, and there's this particular one. And if you do this, and if you read this book, then it's all sorted. And we are selling people a massive lie. We really are. And, and sadly, I'm part of that industry. And, and that's why one of the things that I, I try and do is share my stuff, share some successes, but share my struggles as well. And I know Jeff's on this call. I remember when he was president of the organization, we are part of Professional Speakers Association, and he was the closing speaker. And people still talk about his speech because he didn't say, let me tell you about my amazing year. He talked about how hard he'd found things. And so I hope, and that's why I think with your book, Just Ask, Andy, hopefully there's a few of us championing a little bit more honesty and authenticity and not saying that you just need this book or this program and all your life will be sorted. But we're all on this journey together. We're making a few things up as we go along. We're stumbling, we're struggling and we're succeeding. And that's just part of how it is. Create a greater impact as a mentor. Discover how to find the right person to mentor you and make sure that mentoring thrives in your organization with the Financial Times Guide to Mentoring. Andy Lapata and Dr. Ruth Gotian's new book comes out in May and is available to pre-order now. You talked about the selfies and the quote you attributed to Beyonce about to find the perfect selfie, you need to take 300. In Just Ask, uh, you may remember, I looked at the different approaches to vulnerability between generations. And in particular, how does the generation coming through now, the millennials and the Gen Zs, how does their approach to vulnerability differ to the boomers and the Gen Xs, you know, our generations? I think we're both Gen X. And I interviewed my niece, who was 20, 21 at the time and had been studying, at, still studying at university, but had just finished a project on whether her generation was the loneliest generation ever. And, and Sam introduced me, was the first person to introduce me to the phrase social perfectionism and how her mm. generation, and Sam's just in Gen Z, her generation is driven by comparison, which goes very much to the point you were making. You know, seeing everyone live their lives on Instagram, on now it would be TikTok, on, on Snapchat and so forth, and comparing themselves for every selfie. And this is an image that I use a lot now in my talks. For every selfie you see published, are there 299 that have been discarded? And is that the image of our lives that we're projecting? Is that real happiness? I mean, how can we break that cycle and, and get more it, authentic? It, it's, a, it's a tragic thing, isn't it? And I, I don't think anybody can be blamed. 
I think the, the social media has been set up in such a way, hasn't it, that it can become addictive and we get a, a dopamine hit every time we, we get a like or whatever. And, and what part, I think, comes back to education as well and, and helping, you know, this whole thing about well-being and human flourishing. You know, those might be the language you use, but perhaps we need to teach kids not just about the Battle of Hastings was in 1066, but what does it what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be kind and compassionate? How does our brain work? You know, why can't kids in primary schools getting older learn about oxytocin and dopamine and serotonin and, and how they can, you know, they can actually find those hits, those that cocktail of happiness within their own brain from doing some stuff that's really healthy. Whereas actually we can get the dopamine hit from doing stuff that's unhealthy. And, and I, I do find it, it's very sad when there was a little bit more freedom and flexibility in the uk last year my wife and i went to london and we went into this restaurant and then a group of young women probably aged from about i don't know maybe 20 to 25 walked in and they literally just and it was a nice restaurant but i realized that they'd walked in and they weren't going to eat they were just going to have some drinks but they just spent all their time posing and taking photos and then retaking them and retaking them and retaking them and the thing is, it was a group of mates in a beautiful environment. I just wanted to go up to them and just say, why don't you just enjoy this? Why don't you just enjoy the moment and, and the experience of being here? Enjoy your drinks, enjoy each other's company, maybe take a couple of photos, but it almost became like a, a glorified photo shoot. And it is sad, but then, you know, it's a bit like Pavlov's dog, isn't it? If, if we get conditioned that by society that this will make you happy, then that's what we pursue, isn't yeah. it? And I think it's up to all of us to have a bit of compassion and understanding with where people are at, understand the pressures that young people are on as well. And, and, and I think a lot of it does come down to education, but rather than trying to be against something and going, you know, the woes of Instagram, I mean, it can be wonderful as well for people, can't it? And, and But just think about, okay, well, rather than be against something, what can we be for? And we can be for kindness and we can be for, you know, the whole concept of gratitude and why that's important. And actually struggles can strengthen you. So when you land on the snake in the game of like snakes and ladders, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. You help young people to realize that, you know, feelings are, are temporary. They're emotion, you know, emotions do pass. They're not permanent. And unfortunately, when young people and older people get into a place of low mood, then they can see no hope and they feel that those feelings won't fade. And sometimes they make some very, very drastic choices that can be literally devastating for them and the people in their lives. So I think there needs to be a lot more around education. And I don't think I want to, I don't want to stand here and deem or sit here and demonize social media and technology. I think we need to embrace it and make the most of it, see it as a tool, but I think we need to equip all of us, and that means me as well as a 56-year-old bloke, with, with the best way to use it and to promote it. And, and just to think about people's, not just, I don't like to think just about mental health. I think this is about holistic health. You know, happiness isn't just about how I'm feeling that day and what I'm thinking. It could be related to the what I ate that morning, whether I took any exercise. I think we need to take a far more holistic approach People have been getting, you know, their, their six pack, you know, from going to the gym or when they could go to the gym. But what about your mental six pack? What about all this kind of, you know, you talk about connection. 
well, I think there is a mind-body connection. I think there's a mind-body and emotion connection. And we need to look at people more holistically rather than just in compartments. I think that, I, that was a long answer for a Wigan Athletic fan, <laughs> wasn't it? Flipping Jeff's nodded off. Jeff, wake up, it's, mate. Wake it's up. all right. Je- Jeff's, Jeff's chatting to my mum on the chat at the moment because she's enjoying oh, this as well. Oh, that's lovely. Is that engaged in me flipping insights? <laughs> Thanks, Ram. Thanks, so this, Ram. For, for anyone listening to the podcast and think they're going off a bit with their mates at the moment, don't forget this is a podcast about the power of professional relationships. And look how when you, you really get to know each other on a human level, you can have that more relaxed, enjoyable conversation. So I make no apologies and I hope that you're enjoying the fact that we can have that engagement in our network. But from that long answer, Paul, I want to pick up on on one thing in particular and you said you don't want to disparage technology and social media completely and i think that one of the key things is balance and getting a balance right you talked about the group of friends taking photos and i know that there are people who hate it when they see people take pictures of their food in a restaurant there's people i i I used to go to gigs a lot with someone who hated people taking pictures at gigs now going to concerts is one of my biggest joys in life and I've been going to, I, I can't tell you how many concerts I've been to over the years. It will be in the hundreds. But I have very limited memories of the ones that I went to from my teen years. My first concert, I was 13, 14, uh, the Eurythmics. But from that, that first concert through till mobile phones and social media, I have little blips of memories. There's bands I've forgotten I've seen. I forgot mm. I saw my favourite artist, Lou Reed, support you too, until I was looking at the bill years later and I saw that Lou Reed had been on the bill. Now I've got videos, I've got photos. I don't stand at the concert and take videos for the whole time, but I take snippet here and a snippet there and then a, Great. two or three years later it's a memory. You and Absolutely. I you and I enjoy going out for walks. And we post photos of our walks. I've now got a splashback in my kitchen behind my cooker that I love Mm. of a sunset I took on my walk and I'm redecorating. And my artwork is all going to be from my walks, from my photos. Awesome. Awesome. But if I only spend the time taking photos, I don't see nature. So I have to get the balance. And I think that's got to be a key thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's great. I mean, I love, I mean, you think again about social media, Facebook. I love Facebook memories. You know, yeah. and, and they come up and they remind me of things. So it's great to capture some of this, which is why when I just thought about those young women who are in that restaurant, that it's just like, well, yeah, take a couple of photos would be great. But you spend probably, I don't know, virtually all their time yeah. and they finished the drinks, they went. And I'm like, you were there, not really for yourself, but to try and maybe impress people who weren't there. And I just think it is a little bit sad. But hey, yeah. we're all deep, you know, we're deep down, we're all quite superficial at times. <laughs> so, you know, I'm as much part of this as, as the problem as other people as well. So that's why I think we need to be role, more role models. You talked about yeah. comparison earlier on, but you know, we do, that's how we learn as a young child. We start to learn not by just what we, what we're told, but how we see others around us behave. And, and, and therefore, our generation whichever generation wants to label it and I was like I think actually I'm flipping a baby boomer believe it or not um but it's like well what am I modeling what are the messages I'm my two kids are in their 20s well what how do I role model to them because you cannot not be a role model people are observing you whether you're aware of it or not particularly your family members definitely and and again it's that balance that's the key it's just finding you know you don't by being a role model you don't have to 
have perfectionism in your own life. As a leader, you need to be authentic and be yourself, but get the balance. Totally. Right. Yeah. Totally. And I, and I think sometimes for a leader, and there needs to be vulnerability. Brené Brown talks about vulnerability, but she also works having boundaries, which mm. I think is an important thing. But there is where you might let your guard down a little bit and people see that you're human. And that, that can promote within your within your own teams, that greater sense of honesty. I mean, can you imagine a leader giving a talk where they say, let me tell you about the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life and what I learned from it. Wow, flipping heck, that, that's interesting, isn't it? And when you do listen to lots of leaders talk about things now, and I love consuming podcasts, I just think it's really healthy when they go, yeah, and then I had this success, then I had that success, and then I had that. You know, I mean, I listened to Chris Evans interview Gary Barlow. All right, not your typical maybe people to mention on a more of a business type podcast, but we're about humans and about connection. And you could say, actually, Chris Evans and Gary Barlow are incredibly successful business people and entrepreneurs, but they both talk about their challenges. They, They both talk about their struggles. And I think they now appreciate life a lot more. And, you know, does perfectionism really exist? The word perfect means... Uh, it cannot be improved upon, you know, and I just think, I just think we just need to press pause and go, okay, we want to aim for excellence, we want to do our best, but maybe perfectionism isn't really, you know, shouldn't really be the goal, but it should be about experiencing life, enjoying life, helping to support other people on their journey as well, um, rather than being so thinking, you know, wrapped up in trying to create a perfect image of who we are, because deep down we all flipping well know it doesn't exist. Okay, so on that point of aiming for perfectionism, and you talked earlier, or you touched earlier on consumerism, you know, wanting, and the way the, 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 the way I think you described it as capitalism works on making us feel that we, that, you know, we, we can improve, there's better we can get. So do we- Which can be healthy, again, yeah, it goes back to yeah. your word balance, absolutely, yeah. good we- to try and improve. Which Jeff has, has has commented on as well about saying balance is crucial in different world in different spaces. Is, is there a tendency, and I think it's been talked upon uh, talked about a lot over the years, but a tendency to postpone happiness, postpone happiness until we've got that dream job, we've got the the car we want, the the the, the home we want, the relationship we want, um, the new washer dryer we want, whatever it might be. How do we, let's assume there is that tendency, let let me reframe the question, how do we break that tendency to postpone happiness? I I think there is, there is, first of all, that honest conversation we need to have with ourselves, because I was definitely a I'll be happy when, Mm. dot, dot, dot. And and my wife noticed that, you know, when Sumo came out and WH Smith made it Business Book of the Month, you know, I'll be happy when I see my books in airports and railway stations. And, And then it was like, it's no longer number one. It's no longer number one. It's not, and it's like, I'll be happy when. Then I said to my wife, I said, well, can't you just be happy? The book's out there and it's doing well. Yeah, but I'll be happy when it hits 10,000. It hits 10,000 sales. Well, yeah, well, I'll be happy when it gets to 50,000. That would be a real significant number. Hits 50,000. Uh, well, do you know what? I'll be happy when it hits 100,000. And it was just like, I was on this treadmill of constantly, ne- I was searching for happiness because in my mind, it was a destiny. It was a place to reach, to arrive at. And I think it's that, and, and I'm still goal orientated to an extent and, and goals can be healthy and can give us that purpose and sense of direction and sense of achievement. Of course they can. But what I realized was I decided 
my happiness is completely attached to an arbitrary goal that I make. I mean, I even have things about my weight. I'll be happy when I'm a certain weight. So in other words, what we're really saying is I will postpone my life satisfaction and my enjoyment of life until I've reached a certain target or goal. And then guess what? When you reach that target and goal, then it's like, what next? And you'll find that a number of Olympians and Johnny Wilkinson talks quite, you know, candidly about this, how the happiest he was in life was not when England won the Rugby World Cup in 2003. Sorry for our Australian listeners but was actually five minutes before the end of that game because he was still involved and experiencing it. And then as soon as they'd achieved their goal, and as soon as someone's won a gold medal, it's like, what next? My my whole purpose in life has been to achieve this one thing. And we've been subtly told, and sometimes not subtly told, once you reach that goal, then you'll be happy. So it is that having that sense of honesty, and it's that sense of, actually, I I can be happy now. That doesn't mean, and when we use this word happy, it doesn't mean totally satisfied, don't need to improve myself, don't want to make progress. But Andy Laparta, Paul McGee, Jeff Ram, Andrew Bryant, and everyone else who's listening, you can be happy now and still want to do things. You see, in How to Have a Great Life, and Jeff's point about balance, one of the things that I say is, you know, what we're told is you'll be good if you do something. You'll be happy if this happens. And I'm now coming to the point of I'm happy and I want that experience and I want that product. But my happiness is not dependent on something that's going to happen in my life. It's almost like something which I'm thinking maybe we're born to be happy. When you see a young child, you know, once and also had the nappy change and they're being fed, they're usually pretty happy. So maybe it's a state of getting back to who we are deep down. We were born to be happy rather than feel we've got to achieve to be happy. I'm thinking back to the very first podcast in the Connected Leadership podcast when I interviewed Goldie Sayers, the, the former Team GB captain and British record holder in the Javelin. And Goldie finally got her Olympic medal about 10 years after the event because the Russian athlete had, had tested positive for drugs. Oh, yes. And by that stage, she'd, that wasn't her goal. That wasn't what happiness was. And, and the medal is hanging over a bin <laughs> in her home. Yeah. Uh, and you assume that for, and I've known Goldie for a number of years before that. And, you know, I was almost happy. I felt like I was happier than her in a sense when she yeah. got it because I knew how important it was to her, but she'd moved on from that. Uh, and I So think basically a... what you're saying, Andy, is that Goldie had been happy with a silver and then when she got a gold, Goldie no, was the Well, actually, she got a bronze. Uh, she, she finished oh, fourth. Right. She finished fourth, but it all was right. the Olympic medal. But she got, bronze, she got, she got the yeah. Olympic medal, which was the, the key. And, and it's interesting because when you say you were happier for her than than, than she was, my wife Helen's happier for me than I am sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And it is learning just to appreciate, you know, what we have got and what we sometimes yeah. have achieved. And, and I'm guilty of this. Yesterday, someone congratulated me on Just Ask and Connected Leadership, both being category finalists in the Business Book Awards. And I said, well, the final's in May. That's what I'm gunning for. And it's just like, enjoy yeah. the moment. Enjoy being in the top six in the categories. And totally. then if anything else comes, that'll be great. But it's still an achievement. And she actually said, didn't quite put it like that, but she said, but it's still an achievement. And I didn't let myself celebrate it in the way I could. We've talked a lot about happiness 
but I want to reflect for a moment. We touched on it earlier. I want to reflect on unhappiness and particularly where the line is between being unhappy and having mental health problems. How do we know where people are at, whether it's ourselves or whether it's other people? And I guess equally importantly, how do we ensure that someone who's unhappy doesn't, that the issue doesn't get worse and tip over into mental health issues? Okay, I don't know whether it's easy to make such a distinction, Andy, if I'm perfectly honest. And, and again, it's a bit like that wrestling without fish. It's not always easy to define, is it? Because for some people, maybe they're, you know, they're, they talk about mental health issues can occur for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's your personal circumstances. You know, you've gone through a divorce, you've got financial problems and that, you know, you've lost your job. Well, that doesn't just make you unhappy, but it's not going to actually enhance your mental health. Now, when do we say, well, when does unhappiness turn to mental health problems? Well, I, I, I don't know if it's an easy thing to actually define. And if I was to say how hard it is to define and also how hard it is to spot the signs, I'd take you back to, to an event that happened 10 years ago, back in, I think it was 2011, when Gary Speed, you know, took his own life. Well, Gary Speed took his own life, I think on a late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. But, you know, the context was he'd been on Football Focus with Dan Walker during the day. He'd lined up to play golf with Alan Shearer on the Monday. But in the early hours of, of Sunday morning, I think it was, he took his own life. And, and I think we can look and go, hang on a minute, why didn't we spot the signs? And I think, I think we oversimplify life generally. There's, there's complexity to all of this. There's nuances. There's still trying to grow in understanding. And we sometimes assume that if you are struggling, then we assume two things. One, if you're struggling, everyone will realize that. And two, if you're struggling, you'll ask for help. Well, you know, I've, there are people who've gone through dark experiences. I've gone through my own personal dark experiences. My own cousin took his own life. And I think we just need to, just need to, it's about just checking in on how people are. And, but it's not about thinking it'll be obvious what the signs are, because they're not. And actually, as someone has gone through my own dark times, strangely enough, you don't always feel like I'm, I'm going to reach out and ask for help here because you can be in that dark place. But what I've learned is, is to be saying to myself, you know, this is, this is how you're feeling now and that's valid, that's okay. I mean, I talk about this concept in, in sumo of hippo time. It's okay to not always feel okay. To feel mad, bad or sad is okay. And I think what, again, we've tried to tell people is if you're not feeling happy all the time, something's wrong with you. And, and therefore, when we don't, we think there's something wrong with me and I've got mental health issues. No, 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 no. Loads of people can jump into labeling things. I've got mental health problems. When actually, no offense, but in some cases, you're going through a tough time. You're going through a tough time. You're in, you're in a low mood. And, and maybe it's because simple, practical things like you're not taking any exercise, you're not moving, you're, you're, you're eating a really unhealthy diet that's, that, you know, food affects mood. You know, so I go back to this whole thing about education, 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 to quote a certain prime minister, and, and, and just understanding that, no, if, in fact, if you were to say, here is a pill, and if you take this pill, you'll be happy all the time, would you take it? Most people go, yeah, I would. 
And then you kind of go, hang on a minute. Or what about when you're at a funeral? How do you want to feel then? How do you want to feel when you lose your dream job? How do you want to feel when you're a Sunderland supporter, you know, and you play Charlton or Wigan? How do you want to feel when, you know, maybe you're, you're competing in something and you don't win or you, you underperform? But don't worry, but I'm happy all the time. Can we see how actually it would be bizarre and actually quite ridiculous to want to be happy all the time? It's an emotion. It's a good emotion. It's a bit subjective. But we also need to acknowledge to feel mad, bad or sad is valid. We shouldn't demonise negative emotions. We should learn to understand them, under, try and understand, well, what, what are they trying to teach me, if indeed they are trying to teach me anything, and, and not be owned by our emotions, but at least acknowledge and accept them. And if anyone wanted to explore this a bit further, I would definitely recommend a book by Susan David called Emotional Agility, and definitely follow her on Twitter as well. Susan David. She's got some wonderful insights around this. So sorry not to be able to give you that really simplified, concise answer, Andy, but it's a pretty complex topic. It, it's really important advice and insight. Colin Knight has said that's so true. There's no such a thing as uh, toxic positivity. Um, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you mentioned earlier the self-development industry, which, you know, you're in, I'm into a degree and I've also been a consumer of. Uh, and one of the things I talk about in Just Ask early on is I remember back in, in the probably the 90s when all the American self-help gurus were saying, when people ask you how you are, why are you saying I'm fine? Why don't you say I'm great, I'm awesome, I'm fantastic? To me, that's toxic positivity. I've not used that phrase before, but if you're yeah. not fantastic, then you know the whole point of Just Ask is that you tell the truth. Uh, Absolutely. And, and, and I think, and, it, and it, again, that's why... I, you know, when we joked at the very beginning, I say, look, I'm from Manchester. You're not going to get California motivation because the fact is people do label me motivational speaker. So they have all these expectations. And then when I, I talk about hippo time, what a hippo's doing, what they wallow and it's OK. And you've got to process your pain, digest your disappointment, sit with your sadness. For some people, it's like, well, that's a bit radical. I remember doing an event in South Africa and this woman said, she said, I just consume self-help. And, and yet I've never, ever come across this concept of hippo time. And that is the most profound thing I've ever heard, that actually it is OK at times to not always feel OK. That needs to be part of our holistic message, I think, within the personal development world. I'm massively into it. I'm an advocate for it, but I'll be prepared to challenge it when I see stuff that I think is not helpful. And forced positivity or toxic positivity is, is really destructive. I'd agree. And, and I just want to go back to one of the other points that you made. You talked about Gary Speed. For those listening uh, or watching who don't know, Gary Speed was no. the Wales manager who sadly took his own life in, in about 2011, as, as Paul said. Yeah. Um, and just ask, I, I dedicate the book to Richard and, and I, I share Richard's story at the beginning. And Richard took his own life and it came out of the blue. And it, it was to such a point that when Richard passed away and we didn't know what had happened at this stage, I turned to a friend of mine who worked closely with him and I said, have you got any idea what happened? And he had seen him two weeks before. They'd worked on a project together and there'd been absolutely no indication that anything was, was wrong at all. So very much backing that up. I include hippo time in Just Ask because I think it's yeah, a phenomenal concept. Laura Ash has just commented and said hippo time has been really revolutionary for me. And I, I think absolutely. And hello, Laura. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Laura. Uh, 
Um, awesome work. Yeah. Check out Laura yeah. Ash and her hubby Rock, Barry doing yeah. more awesome work. Rock solid, rock solid. You know, and you talked earlier about looking at health holistically. That's what Rock mm. Solid do. So well, hundred percent. That's why I'm such a champion of their yeah. work as yeah. well. I really am. It's brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. Right, I've got one last question. We can't finish talking about unhappiness. So I want to bring it back to mm -hmm. happiness and I want to bring it back to the underlying theme of, of the podcast series, which is the, the importance of professional relationships. So do happier people uh, find it easier to forge strong professional relationships? Okay, and the best way to answer that is actually say, well, do well, would unhappier people and, and there's a term that's banded around by a number of speakers called mood hoovers. The people who see a bit of joint positivity around the place and go, we need to suck that right out of here and spread a bit of misery in its place. Would you want to work with a mood hoover? Clearly you wouldn't. We banned smoking in enclosed public spaces in Northern Ireland, England and Wales in 2007 because of the effects of passive smoking. Well, I think we need to be aware of the effects of passive moaning and therefore are happier people easier to work with well what's the alternative working with the mood hoovers and the people who are you're getting you're struggling because of their moaning so in a nutshell yes they are so go out and be happy that's the underlying well, maybe it's not quite as uh, <laughs> i love to say it's be happy because that's just <laughs> almost like counterproductive to all we've talked about i'm saying be yeah. real recognize you know what maybe 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 don't go be happy you know what you go be, be kind, be grateful, and, the, and happiness will look after itself. On that note, Paul, uh, thank you so much. You're going to come back and talk uh, about your own professional relationships and the role they've had in your career. You've recommended one book. You're going to hopefully recommend some more resources as well. But for the moment, thank you very much. Been a pleasure. Thanks, Andy. I hope that conversation with Paul has got you feeling H-A-P-P-Y and all ready to address the new year with a vigour and a verve and make it a successful one for you. We'll be back next week with a brand new edition of the Connected Leadership Podcast, where my guest is the Financial Times Business Book of the Year winner, Amy Edmondson. So join me for that next Monday on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.